0: What are you up to tonight? We're going to this party tonight, this warehouse thing. Some sort of rave thing.
1: Is this going to be cool? Sit back
0: and watch. I
1: understand this party tonight's going to be huge. It's going to be a kick-ass time. Columbia Pictures invites you... You
0: shouldn't do this,
1: Rana. ...to a new
0: kind of night on the town. Ah! I think
2: I feel something.
0: Give it
1: up, gun!
2: You. Are you a virgin?
0: What? Wow, bangs, prize. No. Yo, know, man, I told you my mother's mother's mother will be If my you were any less black, black, you would be oh, clear. Me. Shut up! Get ready for the year's hit edgiest comedy. You stole a car, a shot a belt, and had sex with two women. Uh, yeah. That will define the generation. It really didn't go as bad as it could have. Ah! Is your British ass
3: happy now? It's
0: right, I'm okay. What are we doing tomorrow?
3: Welcome back to the show everybody Welcome back Welcome listeners We are here with another episode for you During lockdown My name's
2: Pete And I'm Scott And And these these are are the the movies movies that that made us us gay. gay
0: Yay!
2: Pete has your chewable aspirin worn off yet? <laughs> I think I can feel it. Are you coming down from the high? I think I'm feeling Are you going to ease into the cough medicine now? It was pretty smooth. Wow. We watched a we watched a movie that was very vital to my high school experience.
3: Yes, indeed, a very edgy
2: and hip mm-hmm. movie, if as you we, will. As was told to us by the wonderful trailer that we just yeah, listened to.
3: Trailer man uh, says it, so we know it's true. What did we watch, Scott?
2: Oh, well, you probably already guessed it, but we watched Go from 1999, directed Yay. by Doug Lyman, written by Movies That Made Us Gay, alum John August. He wrote Charlie's Angels Full Throttle. That homo. So he is a returning <laughs> screenwriter of this show, and we watched it. Well, we didn't quite watch it with him, but we watched it with him in spirit. Returning guest, Hiko.
0: Yay.
2: Kiko, welcome back to the show.
0: Thank you.
3: We gotta cut down these this crowd. The studio audience is way too overzealous today. Alright, cut it, guys. Alright. Welcome back to the show. So uh, so go, huh? How about this movie?
1: <laughs> I I love it.
2: So I just kind of threw out Go to you just because I wanted to have you on. So I just had kind of movies that were in the pipeline. And I was thinking about this movie like last week of, I think we really need to do Go. And I kind of hate to do this many 90s movies in a row because this is like our fifth movie from the 90s that we've done. We've had a whole month of just 90s for the quarantine. That was not on on purpose. It just kind of... Uh, came naturally all, yeah, all like went down that way there it came very naturally, so when did we all watch this movie?
3: uh Hiko, let's start with you, our guest what tell us your history with go, uh,
1: uh, my history well, um it came out in right after I turned nineteen, so it came out the year I also came out, um and I actually saw this movie back in boston when i was a college freshman at like a special screening you know how they do those um free screenings for like oh yeah come see this they'll they'll target college students to get their opinions or to like create buzz
2: i can already see the flyer that was probably on campus come see the cool new movie directed (laughs) by the guy who did swingers
1: and it was it was playing at this um they were doing it they were doing the screening at this theater on campus called the Nickelodeon theater, right. On BU's campus. Ah, shout out. Terriers! <laughs> um, and, um, and I went and I didn't really know anything about it. Um, but I was, I, I maybe saw the trailer and heard about it. And I, I was just blown away. It like, I was so fascinated by it, by like, like a, you know, just turned 19 year old, Kind of fresh out of the closet, still coming out of the closet, 19-year-old. Uh, and it got me into um, – I knew it had a lot of interesting cast members in it. And it really – I loved – I got so into the soundtrack. And it uh, introduced me to one of my favorite artists now of all time, uh, BT. Natalie uh, Blu- <laughs> Natalie Brilla. Who was <laughs> it again? Not, not Natalie Embryo, But BT, who also did the score – um the oh, movie and okay. contributed like one or two songs on the soundtrack. And he's like this electronica artist who kind of blew up in the late 90s, early 2000s. And like I have like every album of his and saw him spin live like maybe four or five times since moving out to L.A. Um, but yeah, I loved I just was enraptured by the movie it, like sucked me in and it just it made me more fascinated and curious about like southern california (laughs) rave culture sure basically i kind of was like i was such a wannabe even though like i was was kind of a goody goody i like but i remember buying like these big club pants with the flares at the bottom oh i love that trashy club store at the mall thinking (laughs) i was like gonna go out to a rave Uh, or a club and um and, yeah, this this movie became, like, my point of reference. This and a couple of other movies and, and pop culture references. Sure. But this movie basically sparked it within me. And uh, I, yeah, owned the Blu-ray, the DVD, the soundtrack, and um, actually wrote a piece about the 20th anniversary of it last year. And John August kind of gave me a shout-out, which was cool. So thank wow. you, John August.
2: That's great. I have a little background in um, the making of the yeah, movie. Yes, so I... We'll, we'll do our intros first
1: um that's
3: really cool so did you ever get to wear your jinko jeans or or maybe knock off jinko jeans to a to a warehouse party in boston did they have warehouse parties in boston
2: It'd it'd be a really cold warehouse party
1: yeah they didn't have warehouses but there were a few clubs i wore them probably once to a straight club sure um, and i i literally think i wore them twice I, <laughs> I i think i still have them i held on to them because i am a semi hoarder like yeah. that but uh, i have them i think deep in a trunk in my closet somewhere and i'm sure <laughs> they don't fit me at this point in my in my life yeah um, but someday maybe they'll come back or i'll get to wear them as like part of a really cheesy halloween costume
3: i mean you could go straight selena kyle and make yourself like a (laughs) jumpsuit like a denim like (laughs) just rip just cut them out the seams and you've got enough fabric to make yourself a couple of like you know like one piece suits or something totally (laughs) there's a lot of fabric in those pants i myself had a pair of flared jeans they were not jinkos they were definitely knockoffs and uh, i got them in high school and i wore them on a date to go see the nightmare before christmas um it was a group date with lots of people and i looked stupid because i was like 17 um scott why don't you talk about your uh so, Your history with Go. I
2: definitely remember when this movie came out because I remember seeing it on the marquee of the Lewistown, Montana theater and sure. just thinking, Go. That seems like a really cool movie title." <laughs> And then I, and then I remember kind of reading about it in teen movie line magazine of all, of all like now deceased publications. Yeah. And then I remember renting this movie from, this is a very specific poll. If you're from a small town from a video wall in the back of a convenience store. Okay. Yeah. Which is very small town. Yes. That kind of sometimes small town gas stations or something will have a movie wall. And I remember renting this.
3: I mean, to be fair, I rented my share of movies from a liquor store.
2: Okay, sure.
3: (laughs) We've we've got that here too. But yeah, uh, that's definitely a thing. But I remember watching it
2: and just being blown away by it. Sure. And it was just kind of that time that you're starting to get into kind of movies when I was in high school. or I I think this movie actually came out when I was in the eighth grade. So you're kind of slowly like dipping your toe into what you – what type of movies that you think are really cool. Yeah. And I just remember just thinking that this was the coolest goddamn movie I'd ever seen in my life. Uh-huh. And then I bought it, uh, used from a video rental store uh-huh. and I just wore the tape out. Okay. Mm-hmm.
3: And the soundtrack as well. And
2: the soundtrack. Oh my God. The soundtrack fucking slaps. <laughs> it's so good. I've been listening to it this whole week.
1: Okay. Oh, and a side note, I say a side note to my theatrical experience, I- I saw this, because it came out in the spring of 99, and um, when I finished freshman year, and then the su- uh, went on summer break, I took my dad to go see this movie at some random movie theater mall, uh, <laughs> mall theater, because uh, I loved it so much. And it was one of the few movies I'd seen more than once in the theater. And What did you I I think of it? I think, I, don't, I think it was kind of lost on him. But, sure. We were I think we were, we were at this mall and we were like, let's go see a movie and I, I told him about Go and I said, Oh, it's so good, I would see it again, and so I dragged him and <laughs> my poor Japanese father had to sit through it. But I'm sure I mean I'm sure he got he enjoyed some of it. It's yeah, had drugs and sex and pretty girls, so Yeah, yeah. <laughs> had lots of boobies in it, a lot of cute boys.
3: <laughs> wow, okay. So uh I was in college as well. Um friends of mine were very obsessed with swingers you know as as we were uh, that tracks and, and that, with most
2: of the people that you know
3: yeah with most of the people that i know we um we found swingers on you know on home video and just became obsessed with it and being the la kids that we were decided to just kind of like reenact these characters lives, even though none of us were actors or want to be actors or writers or producers or anything like that. But we, we were in this town and we thought that we could, you know, be these cool LA Angelino kids. And when word that this new movie by the director of swingers was out, we were very, you know, intrigued. And, um, I definitely didn't see it in the theater. I remember seeing the reviews, uh, kind of comparing it to Pulp Fiction. Oh, we'll get into that. All right. And we're going to get into that. And, uh, I, I rented it and my biggest takeaway from this movie is that William Fickner is very lean and that super muscular ass is just like burned into my brain. Same. (laughs) (laughs) And just the awkwardness of that scene. Um, I remember thinking at the time, uh, okay, enjoying it, appreciating... um like the whole thing with the uh, Scott Wolf and Jay Moore, and like oh, like tell me about your girlfriend, and then they're like talking about their girlfriends, and then you're just like that light goes off in your head, and you're like, oh, I get it. That was, you know, that was fascinating for me, and I was like, okay, that's that's cool. That's that's a nice little thing that they included in there. Um, Which
1: the third, the third act story. Yes. Yeah.
3: Um. But uh, I I don't recall this movie having so much of an impact on me i appreciated the representation and again being in college and being freshly out and all that stuff i was like all right finally and these are straight actors i knew jay moore from like the comedy scene and if you know anything about jay moore he is like a like a zero like he's like a negative 10 on the kinsey scale he's like the straightest straight person like the ultimate get. guy's guy yeah jay moore is super the ultimate guy's guy very that so, and i had known him from the comedy scene for a long time so i knew that he was playing against type scott wolf you know obviously a straight guy playing a gay character so i appreciated that a lot um but i don't know i just thought it was such a departure from swingers
2: it's a very interesting follow-up to that yeah. movie and i'll get into a little bit about like the making they of it. almost
3: yeah. were just like okay Swingers was hot. It was this indie movie that made a lot of money just because it was so cheap to produce. So let's give this guy something good, something fresh that he can take and run with. And they're just like, ah, we've got this and just threw it at him, you know, a very L.A. story or at least attempting to be a very L.A. story. I could see this movie taking place in like Fort Lauderdale and not much changing. Um, <laughs> but the thing is, they they really crammed in a lot of like this is L.A. Um so that might be why they gave it to him, but uh, yeah, to me because it was such a departure from swingers, I was almost like, "Well, that was weird." Do you know what I mean?
2: Understandable. Yeah. I, no, I get that. Yeah.
3: So, but I liked those gay stuff in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was cool. <laughs> so
2: that was cool. So a little bit of, a bit about the making of Go. I think it's kind of interesting to put ourselves in the independent frenzy to hit the late nineties with Sundance. Because this was at a time that um major studios were just catching on that, oh, we can finance these small movies, and they can turn out a pretty decent profit yeah for for us like Miramax kind of spearheaded all of that. They had a big sleeper with swingers, which was doug lyman's debut and doug Doug Lyman, I was reading. Or I was reading in Best Movie Year Ever, the movie mm-hmm. the book that kind of chronicles all of the big movies of ninety nine. He was offered Goodwill Hunting and he turned <laughs> it down for Miramax. And <laughs> he opted to make Go ultimately.
3: The superior movie. Mm-hmm. Okay.
2: So yeah, so turned down, Oscar winning. Oscar winning, Goodwill wow. hunting, and he made Go. And a lot of this movie we can trace back to John August, because when he wrote this movie in the Early to mid-90s, he said that he was inspired by the rock and roll Ralphs on Sunset Boulevard. And sure. if you're not familiar with Los Angeles, there's a, <laughs> a grocery store called Ralphs on Sunset Boulevard right before you get into the Sunset Strip. And it has a rock and roll theme. And is kind of he had these observations of who are the type of people that would work here. And some of the conversations that he would eavesdrop on them, that they just sounded like they had a really vivid and cool after work life. So that's sure. kind of where the concept of the movie came out and he wrote it as a short and then it ultimately became a feature. And I think that he began writing it in probably around 94, uh-huh. I think. And so he was, so it's kind of a movie that looks at the lives of all of these grocery store wor- store workers and just kind of these crazy adventures that they would have. And then cut to later in the nineties Columbia TriStar wanted to get in on the indie film business, and they scooped up this movie, which was going through financial problems because the foreign finances fell through and it almost wasn't made. And they swooped in at the last minute to kind of save it. And, yeah, from everything that I've read about this movie, the shoot for it sounds super vigorous. When you read interviews with Doug and John, these were all night shoots. There's sure. some pretty complicated setups in it. And it was just sort of – there was always a back and forth of the studio of what kind of movie they were making. Columbia wanted them to cut all of the Vegas stuff, but Doug's just sort of had to put his foot down and say that this all has to be in the movie. And then we ultimately got go, and it debuted at Sundance in 99. And do you know what other movie debuted at Sundance in 99, which was a huge hit? Hiko?
1: I'm raising my hand. Um, (laughs) I think – the Blair Witch project the Blair
2: Witch project ah. yes so landed huge in 99 so there are all of these big movies to come out of that festival this year and this movie got i think an april release and i think it did pretty well probably like a mo- a moderate like sleeper too
1: yeah, yeah i think i think it made around 30 million um if i remember from what i had written for the movie's 20th anniversary last year but yeah. And actually, sorry to interrupt, but like 1999 was also a banner year for movies. Yeah, there definitely. so many unique, successful, groundbreaking movies that came out. And I think there was a book written about it. Uh, a podcast came out of it, I think, like 1999 being the best movie year
2: possibly ever. I mentioned the book Best Movie Year Ever how 1999 exploded the big screen and I believe that this chapter is Christopher Nolan's following Go and uh Run Lola Run. And R- Run Lola Run, another movie that kind of had fun with non-linear storytelling. Yeah, which this movie kind of runs with. And it's interesting now when you go back and revisit it, you remember being kind of blown away with the structure of it, but I feel like now we're so used to storytelling like this that it just kind of makes sense. It's just like, well, how obviously are you going to tell the story?
3: I thought that too as we were watching it, because I, I have to say what I didn't mention is that this is the first time that I've seen this since 99, probably. I rented it, yeah. saw it the one time, and I was like, I'm good. So, and I do remember watching it being like, wow, what a crazy structure. It's just so, like, upside down-y. And then we watched it now, and I was like, oh, okay, we're just going back to the beginning, that's it. And it, and it didn't seem as, as crazy or wacky this time. It just seemed like, yeah, like you said, where are they going to just intercut between all these stories? That's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, so... What else had John August done by 99? Hiko, you'd probably be be better at this.
1: I believe this was his first screenplay that was...
2: Wow. That's about right.
1: It's the first movie he wrote. And then um, four years later, he did Big Fish. Yeah. And And he did um,
2: did rights on all the Charlie's Angels movies. And I think that he was kind of a script doctor at the time that he would go in and beef up scripts. I don't know if that was around the time of... 2000 to 2005, but he's kind of done that through most of his career, I think.
1: Yeah, and he also wrote the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory Mm -hmm. remake. Yeah. Um, He even tried directing, I think, with Ryan Reynolds in a very Mm little-known movie called The Nines.
2: Oh, sure, I remember that.
1: Uh, Yeah.
2: He did second-unit photography on this movie, or second-unit directing, which is— Kind of says a lot about the fly by night production of this, that you pull your screenwriter to direct second unit. Wow. He has a, he has a funny memory in best movie year ever where they were doing the scene where Sarah Polly gets hit by the car. And that scene actually like sent her to the emergency room. Oh shit. Like that put her in the hospital. And he said that he had this moment where he had to go to the field right next to the parking lot and just silently cry to himself. (laughs) <laughs> of just what a disaster this movie experience was turning into. But I think that that kind of speaks to the tone of this movie because this movie always feels like it's on the run. It just has this very frantic structure to it that it's very fitting that that was the production of this movie.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, it comes all comes out in this thing. It's, very, it's a very tight movie, too, which mm-hmm. I appreciate. It, like, it works so well you see all the cogs in the machine kind of working together so frenetically but really beautifully and i just it kind of you know being in i i was studying film and tv and in back in bu and i think we watched swingers as as a reference for a screenwriting class i did and that like was very inspiring to me when i wrote my first little screenplay short and then shortly thereafter this movie came out and i was like wow i gotta look into doug Lyman and see what else he's gonna do so
3: okay so i guess i'm the only one that watched this movie this time around and thought wow this script is not great
2: (laughs) (laughs) it just seems
3: it just seems like such a damn script
2: it's uh, I like this movie, but you're right. There are lines of the script. It's kind of that. Kel- it's kind of that Kevin Williamson thing. I love Kevin yeah. Williamson. I love yeah. John August, but you can tell that there are some lines of this movie that John August is very pleased with himself with.
3: I just think everything in Vegas to me seemed like ideas that it was like, and then this is going to happen, and then this is going to happen, and then they're <laughs> going to like get stuck in an alley, and then That's the car is going to be sideways, it. and then we just have to like ride our way to get to those to those things. What two people, like, what guy is going to end up, like, why do those two, why does he have a threesome with those girls? Why? Because he's he's Irish. Because he's got an accent?
1: He has an accent, That doesn't happen.
3: (laughs) No, I'm, no. And then, like, uh, just the decisions that are made, but everybody in this movie, it's like, if this movie was, like, a choose-your-own-adventure, every option they chose was the wrong one that would just end the book. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like nobody is making good decisions in this movie. Everybody makes the absolute opposite choice of what they should do. I think to, that's what to make it through the night. That's nice. why it's fun, Pete. Yeah, but the whole thing about like tantric sex and just like and I'm a white guy who talks like, you know, very urban and it's like, all right, okay. All right, we see who gets, who
1: gets called out. We see
3: what you're doing days. here. Yeah, but even the way Tay Diggs calls him out just seems so like written. So I just I just have some issues with the script and how written it sounds and how written the actors when they perform this script just sounds like they're reading lines to me. Um, well,
1: I'll be sure John John August will appreciate that once we tweet this out to him. Yeah,
3: <laughs> you know. It's uh it's 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 one opinion and you two are the majority. In this movie I have to say, like the reviews have held up like mm-hmm. over time. It's not it's got it still has a really high rotten tomato score, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it's in I think it's in the nineties. Yeah. It's like it's it's not going anywhere. It's not like one of those things where it's like, oh at the time it was it was good, but now it's quaint. I'm just coming at it like devil's advocate, going, oh, Okay, geez louise But uh, John August Welcome on the show anytime We (laughs) love Big Fish We cry like babies at the end of that movie every time You got us
1: It's interesting See my take on it too I feel like Well for me this movie was also a gateway To like other rave culture Driven movies There were a couple of British ones Uh, There was an indie one That came out the following year called Groove that was about a, people trying to track down a rave in San Francisco. Um, but it, I think it also reflected the end of the millennium, the end of the 20th century kind of anxiety and, and and energy that was going Definitely. around. And people were just partying it up now that the year 2000 was around the corner. So, sure. Um, I, I that feel, it,
3: that feels for, correct. That feels like how it felt at the time, and just that yeah, kind of party I, and vibe and that, that feels it's such yeah. a
1: great time capsule for that particular era. Yeah, and, that's true. And also, and also, 1999 was was like the year at the beginning where, like, you know, some. Journalists coined the term Generation Y, which was, you know, the beginning of the millennium millennials taking over and you had all these teen movies popping up. And this was kind of lumped in with those teen movies, but it had a, um, a sharper edge to it. Sure. But yeah. So that's where that's where I see it and how I appreciate it in hindsight.
3: Sure I just uh the minute any any character in a movie or television show refers to ecstasy as X I'm out nah. it is e and it has always been e and anybody who ever says X is a fucking narc a parent or a screenwriter <laughs> I'll tell you that right now and maybe that's just a like dirty downtown kid in me but like that's my that's my two cents on on that matter um but you're right though that feel that that feeling of of that party feeling of, like, 1999 and and, and looking for those raves. And uh, reminiscent of a very good Beverly Hills 90210 episode. Ooh. In which... Uh,
2: you have to exchange... Which- <laughs> I'd like to exchange this <laughs> egg.
3: In which Steve and Andrea are lost in Echo Park. I will, I will say that
2: about... <laughs> I will say this about that episode. I think it is so stupid that Andrea and Steve... Cannot find where Alvarado is she when li- there's clearly a freeway exit off the 101.
3: She lives in the valley and he lives in Beverly Hills. They have no business in Echo Park. I and love that. Steve is Steve is not going to have a Thomas guide in his uh, Corvette. I love that B story that. though with them. It's oh, cute. It's great. So good. You kind of were shipping Steve and Andrea. Mm-hmm. Like you were like, so when are they going to pay this off? Like these two are going to become a couple, right? Yeah, never what happened.
1: Season, what season was that?
3: I think that was season
2: two. It was.
3: It was. Uh, it was oh, an really? Emily Valentine episode. So, what season was that?
2: Oh, I think it's X- season two. 90s.
3: Yeah. 90s,
1: then. she
3: spiked. She spiked Brandon's drink with Euphoria, which was their uh,
2: substitute for ecstasy. So I'm, ecstasy. I'm sorry, X. <laughs> and you have to go and return an egg at a convenience store to get the address to the rave. Yes, to, oh, to a specific
1: oh. store. Okay, that sounds familiar.
2: And Brandon gets his car like um, he gets he gets everything stolen off. His of car it. gets rolled. It's yep. on
3: blocks and like all graffitied up. It's an amazing episode. Look it up. Nine
2: hundred two one zero is on
3: Hulu or something. <laughs> we'll do a whole episode on that, <laughs> or you can listen to our... Or you can listen to our sister podcast, Very Special Television, where we already did an episode on that. that.
2: Yeah, it's a really good one. Do we want to talk about the cast, maybe?
3: Yes. Let's talk about this cast of beautiful children. And um, They got
2: Katie Holmes,
3: hot off Dawson's Creek. Katie Holmes, let me tell you, we watched this movie and we saw that credits, and Katie Holmes was billed first. What does she have? 15 lines in this movie?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Really? She's
3: billed above Sarah Pauly. I
1: was reading. Wait, it couldn't. I think it was alphabetical alphabetical
2: order. It Possibly. Yeah, you could be right. Yeah. I was reading that they gave this role to Sarah Polly without an audition. Doug uh, Doug Lyman just was a big fan of The Sweet Hair After. Oh. And pretty much offered this role. Um, I was reading that um, Timothy Oliphant was brought in last minute. Uh, He was first offered this movie. He he couldn't do it because he was making Practical Magic. He was fired off Practical Magic and was brought in last minute. He read for both Adam and Zach, but everyone ultimately agreed that he fit the profile of the charming sleazebag drug dealer, Todd.
3: Now, why do we think he was fired from
2: Practical Magic? He would have never fit fit that Aiden Quinn role. She was
1: too old for Yantle.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. he, well, I mean, I he, he was, was he was too young too for that young role. for that role. Yeah,
3: I agree. So yeah, well, so
1: can we just take a moment to appreciate how iconic his introduction in Go is with that Santa hat sitting on the couch,
2: with this teeny little waistline just serving in those that this teeny entire movie. little waistline shirtless <laughs> in those baggy sweatpants.
3: Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. that timothy oliphant body he has he's been rocking that vibe yeah. like he still has it he's <laughs> yeah. yeah interesting
2: and i remember i always really liked him in scream 2 so when he <laughs> came on screen in this movie i was like oh that's um that's the guy from scream 2 okay all right and had and when was broken hearts club Working
3: Article was probably 2000?
1: 2000,
3: 2000, yeah. Oh, okay. So that was coming up. That's on the horizon for him. Mm-hmm. All yes. right. And he's in this movie, and he's talking about giving head. And he's like like a lot of weird innuendo. Like he's on the phone with a friend, and he was saying some weird, like, sexy stuff on the phone, like, to the friend. And I'm just like, what is going on? And he's talking about, like, blowing people. His character is very interesting.
2: Like I, I said, a a, chi- a charming sleaze bag.
3: Yeah, but he's going to shoot Sarah Pauli, though.
2: I think he was just going <laughs> to scare her. You think he's just going to scare her? I think he was just going to wave the gun in front of her and just scare her.
1: Just like he was intimidating uh, poor Kitty Holmes when sure. she gets stuck with him
2: as collateral.
1: Although, that scene, I do love he give a shout-out to one of my other favorite movies of all time, The Breakfast Club. Club. Answer the question, Claire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are you a virgin?
3: I didn't get it until she said it. Well, you said it first, but, like, split second right before she said it. You're like, breakfast club. And she goes, oh, breakfast club. And I was like, oh, yeah,
2: I didn't get it. I love his line reading when he says to um, the English guy over the phone, Claire here says it's going to be a real kick-ass time. I (laughs) I love that. I love that line reading.
3: (laughs) Yeah, you're right. He is playing the character Charming. Mm Mm-hmm. So, I mean, even though he's, like... He's not the villain of the movie. This movie really has no villain. But...
1: He's say time. Time is the villain. Yes,
3: I was gonna. I was thinking that. I was gonna say like, is morning the villain? Is like the sunrise? I don't know. They're all gonna turn into
2: ashes when the sun comes. Yeah,
3: (laughs) but yeah, he's not a villain, but he's a villainous character. He could be construed that way because he's a drug dealer. He's got a gun and all that stuff. But you're right; he is playing it very, um, very charming. Um, So. We should continue talking about the cast though, because there are some interesting choices in here besides uh Sarah Polly or Discount Uma Thurman. Um <laughs> as, as, I, as I dubbed her as I'm watching this movie. That is Academy Girl, Award
2: uh, nominee Sarah Polly Pete? Yeah. She wrote that she wrote and directed that Julie Christie movie where she has Alzheimer's. She,
0: she Away did. from her. Mm-hmm.
2: She sure did. So she is not the only Oscar-nominated person in this cast, because this has a very early Melissa McCarthy.
1: Her big-screen debut, I think. And she was Best Judy's with
2: uh, John August. Yes. So that would explain why she's in this movie and also both Charlie's Angels.
1: For 30 seconds, yeah, she's in this movie. And I... When I watched this movie... Because I watched this movie probably once a year or once every other year, and... Right after Bridesmaids came out and Melissa McCarthy started getting big, I watched Go and I like had the hugest, biggest gasp when <laughs> when, when that scene comes up and I was like, "Holy shit, Melissa McCarthy was in this movie!" And she was probably—I think that was right before she did Gilmore Girls. Oh too. yeah,
3: yeah. She was still uh, on in the main cast of The Groundlings at this point in '99. In, uh, with uh, Jennifer Coolidge and all the that whole mad TV crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have uh, some TV actors in this movie. Some TV teen heartthrobs who are no longer teens. Well, Katie Holmes was probably... Oh, yeah. Well, bet, by 99, she was already not a teenager
2: anymore. Uh, I bet she was probably 17 or 18 when she made this movie. Sure. Probably over the age of 18 because of the hours of the shoot. Do you
3: think getting Katie Holmes was probably their big, like, um... it was, all right, we've got it, this was big their, TV it was star. their
2: big WB well, headliner.
3: Yeah.
1: Well, I'm trying to think now, because Dawson's Creek started in 98. Yeah. I think they might have gotten her, they probably shot this in 98, or, oh no, because I think they actually shot... When it was Christmas in LA, because some of those Christmas decorations you see th- throughout wasn't really production design. I think it was really Christmas time. Mm-hmm. So that could have been the end of '97, if, if I'm doing the math. Wow! But I think they got lucky that she did Daw- She started Dawson's Creek in conjunction with shooting this movie. Okay.
2: Yeah, that's and, my and lucky hypothesis. for Katie Holmes because she got a cool indie movie coming off of season one of yeah. that show. Yeah. And we also have Scott Wolf from Party which Five, which I believe Party Five was still airing. Yeah. at the time. Yeah, Scott Wolf, an actor that I think that uh, any does any like Riverdale does like any Riverdale cast members. <laughs> Do they need, need a parent, like a sexy parent, a sexy dad? Like, get Scott Wolf on the phone. I'd love to see some Scott Wolf. Yeah, I think he's so cute.
1: Well and he he serves some body away. Yes.
2: Those little dimples <laughs> and you see and you see like Well, he's in those uh he's
3: fully dropped his pants yeah. in the very first scene his very first scene of the movie.
2: <laughs> They're putting on the wire on him and you get a good little glimpse of that package. Let me say this about Scott Wolf. I always
3: thought on Party of Five now I didn't watch Party of Five a lot, but it was on and it was one of those things where, you know,
2: yeah. I feel like it was always those shows with me that if I was over at my grandma's house. When did Party Five come on? Was that like Who a knows? was Friday. that like a, a Friday night show or something? I want to say. Friday. I feel like I would just sometimes just tune into like yeah. maybe ten minutes of it and yeah. then dip out. But to me, Scott Wolf always was like his face is super
3: cute, but then his body always seems so compact. Like he, he seemed very thick and stout, and I was like, I kind of like what's going on here. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He really
2: fills out those khakis in this movie. Yeah, because he's not like he's not like tall and lean. He's like he kind of has a he kind of has an ass on him too. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm.
3: He's yeah.
1: T- he's he's thicc.
0: Hmm.
3: Indeed, indeed. Very. You know, he's uh he's in shape and all that stuff. And I love William Fickner. He's just like you work out, huh? Oh my god, <laughs> I
2: I can fully like fill 90 minutes of this movie of. I was just fascinated with William Fichtner in this movie when I was in high school.
3: I mean, he's such like, he's just such a grown, like, man. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. (laughs) That, like, that scene with that ass shot of him, I fully used to pause that That, VHS a lot.
3: Mm -hmm. That lean, muscular rump. So I have to, (laughs) because we're
2: we're bringing up him, I have to give a shout out to um, Handsome Joe from Keep It Weird because we both have this, like, mutual love for this actor because we were thinking of for fickner we were because we were at like a party at ashley's house and we were thinking of the type of character actors kind of we were discussing the tom scarrett types that like super reliable character actors that have been working for years but you're not going to see them get nominated for like golden globes or oscars yeah and i texted him like days later william fickner yeah that's the type yeah (laughs) for sure for sure
3: and much like Tom Skerritt, you see his grown man dad ass in this movie, uh much like you see Tom Skerritt's I don't grown know. man dad I don't ass
2: know if in this is a, Ivy. I don't know if this is a dad ass though. <laughs> you could bounce a quarter off that ass.
1: True. No, no, I would say this is like a Weeho dad ass. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's he's it's like
3: if your dad's a cop.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and can we talk about Who he's married to. Oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm.
3: Jenna Maroney. Oh, my goodness. Jenna Maroney. Jen Krakowski. Love it. Really,
2: like, knocks all of those scenes out of the park.
1: She's in the movie for, what, six minutes? Yeah. What she does to a a baking mixer, which is looking looking at Scott Wolf, and just that awkward dinner scene between all of them. Yeah. So
3: oh, great. Uh I kind of feel like um she looks because I'm so familiar with her now, and again I don't have uh crystal clear memory of this movie, so it was kind of a surprise to see her when she came out, uh when her scene came, and I was like, Wow, she looks so young in this. She's yeah. gotta be like fifteen years younger than yeah. Fickner. I mean I mean, she was a May-December relationship. She was a
2: kid in National Lampoon's.
3: Yeah. Yeah, she's like Anthony Michael Hall age, so she's got to be born in, like, what? Like, 70, maybe? You know? So, um, yeah. Interesting age gap. But it worked. It worked for the scene. She was very funny in in that scene. The the two of them were very interesting. But that's another thing where, where those two characters, to me... The outside observer came in, and I saw, okay, the idea is, you know, he's this cop, and he's, like, very, like, on the straight and narrow, and he's, like, by the book, but he also does this, like... um, MLM, you know, like Amway thing, and on top of that, they're like super sexy, and so let's write a scene about that. And so it seemed very much like workshopping. Like I'm going to write like the sketch, and this is the this you're is just, the basis. You're just for my getting. Sketch.
2: You're just getting like. Cues, shout like, shout up by the audience.
3: Yeah, not quite improv, but, like, where you build upon your characters. But what you do in improv school, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, at a Groundlings class, like a sketch writing class, you're like, okay, they're, you know, multi-level marketing and they're trying to sell their product, but they also want to fuck you. Write the scene. and okay. it's And it's Christmas on top of all that. You know what I mean? And so that's how that scene came across to me. Very much, like... This big idea that they, like, had first, and then they wrote the scene to fit it. Do you know what I mean? Well, that's mm-hmm. just kind of
1: working. I came from. You know, that's very reminiscent of, I, I call it, the Shane Black effect. Yes. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> if you've ever seen, like, Shane Black movies, especially his action ones, or he does a lot of action crime dramas. I was going
3: to say, does he do non-action?
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, and I remember reading in Entertainment Weekly about him explaining and like really articulating why he does a lot of his crime movies during the Christmas season, just because it's such, has a dramatic effect the contrast or the economy between the, the mood of the season with these characters and, and, and stories that are so violent and like non Christmassy. Yeah. So Tom Argus, I think, I think, uh, Shane Black rubbed off on you a
2: little, <laughs> and it's good to give your your setting a point of reference that it's set during the holiday time. It's a set from probably like either December twenty third through like December twenty seventh,
3: and it's memorable. Everybody mm-hmm. remember, you know, it's a it's a you know, no pun intended hallmark of the year and people act a little different because of the, you know, decorations and the shopping and all that. So Christmas does actually, you know, I, I get that, 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 that makes a lot of sense, but yeah. Um, so that scene works because they're great in it. Yeah. And, um, Did but you- also I don't understand, like, he's like, he's like nude in front of Jay Moore, like. Showing him the knockoff cologne, like is he gay? <laughs> I think I, that I, I, think, I think
1: it was just a, miss, a like a weird misdirect.
2: Yeah, it's a misdirect, and it, I think it just kind of goes what this couple will do to make the sale. Sure. Too. That they're yeah. they're recruiting these gay men that work in TV. Yeah, I was gonna say. So he's just going to rope the men in, in any needs as possible. So
3: like his character knew, like he deciphered their code and he yeah. knew that they were gay. So he was like, okay, I gotta get him in on my multi-level marketing. So I'm gonna like <laughs> whip my dick out, in the hopes that he'll be like enticed to like.
1: Yeah, he was probably like, I shit. work out, I got a nice body. Yeah,
2: this be distracted. <laughs> I mean, I love a good pyramid scheme. Like, <laughs> I love a pyramid that scheme. That is kind of my new fascination in probably the past like couple years of yeah. Facebook culture yeah. is just pushing pyramid schemes. And maybe that maybe this is like my origin story of my fascination <laughs> with pyramid schemes. As you kind of look around their house and you're like, wow, you bought all of this from like an Amway <laughs> multi level marketing scheme. Yeah. that That's kind of impressive. Yeah.
3: I love yeah. that he asks, he says, where do you think we bought all this stuff? And they say Sears and JCPenney. <laughs> and Jane Krakowski, so she's like, fuck yeah, you thought we bought this at JCPenney. <laughs> she's like stoked when he says pennies. She's just like, fuck yeah. No, we didn't, idiot. We got it from a
1: catalog. How, and how proud they were to place third in the... Yeah. <laughs> And they root in the for sale. <laughs> and I take
2: it that this couple is just sort of now roped into it because this is the cop that busted them for, like, were they buying drugs? Like, how did they actually nail Zach and Adam?
3: I think they got him on a drug charge mm-hmm. and he's trying to work it off so that he doesn't get jail yeah, time.
2: So now they're just, like, stuck in this in this, like, in this scheme. Yeah,
3: but Fickner and Krakowski are stuck in their pyramid scheme. That's mm-hmm. why they need to pull people yeah. in because they've got all this product that they got to sell. But Pete, they are the number four
2: sellers in Southern California. That's true. Hopefully, number three,
1: mm-hmm. this time next month. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then we find out that Zach and was it Zach and Adam? Right? Are those there?
3: Yeah, names? I think those are their names.
1: Uh, Adam and Zach. Adam and Zach. Yep. Yeah. They're soap opera actors, and they find out they're both sleeping with the same guy, Jimmy, in makeup.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Who has Fabio hair?
1: Yeah, and you get to see this Jimmy. I'm like, how does Jimmy get... Yeah,
3: how does he swing those two? How does he swing those two? Not Jimmy with Fabio hair. I know.
2: (laughs) I remember being a teenager and sort of seeing how that relationship goes down. And it's kind of interesting that when you just get to an older gay man, that you watch that scene now and you're like, oh, yeah, that checks out. <laughs> that happens all the time. That,
0: that tracks. <laughs>
3: that tracks, especially in L.A., in the entertainment mm-hmm. industry.
2: That and now track. it's like oh, grinder yeah. and Scruff. It's just like that happens to couples all the time.
3: There's, there's a whole Instagram so- accounts devoted to memes making jokes about that.
1: So I've heard as I hold my pinky up to my mouth. So, I've heard. <laughs> so we've heard.
3: So we've heard tell on the internet. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about the um the cast of characters that are rounding out the staff at this um grocery store that is called Sons S O N S, which is clearly a John's and if you're from if you're from Los Angeles you know that there's two grocery store chains. One is Vons with a V like Vicky, Vons. That's a little bit more like National. And then there's Johns with a J. And it's the same font as Vons, but just with a J. And uh, those are more in like L.A. city, and L.A. proper. And this was clearly a Johns, and they changed it to an S, and it's now Sons. And it's, uh, you know, it's one of those grocery stores that like, if you look deep in the background, the signs are in English half and in, in Eng- Spanish. Half English, half in Spanish. Yep. Yeah. And it is populated with a staff full of beautiful white
2: children. Bunch of whiteies. <laughs>
3: As most inner city grocery stores are staffed with lovely twenty something white kids.
2: I mean it was one of those things that they didn't have it in the budget to shoot at the rock and roll Ralphs.
1: Let me well, maybe they, they were they were Southern California white trash. Let's put it that way.
2: That's true. That's true. They exist. Yeah. And Pete was also noticing that, um, the, is it Nathan Bexton? Nathan Bex. Beckson. Nathan Bexton's character is called Manny. That clearly this was a role written for a Latino.
3: Yeah. Is this blonde kid's full name Manuel? Like, I don't understand why his name is Manny.
2: And we were also noticing James Duvall's name is like an Indian name.
3: Yeah. His name is Singh.
2: And, uh, he does not look Sikh.
0: <laughs>
3: I want to talk about Nathan Bexton, the blonde kid that takes the ecstasy, and he takes two of them. And Tim, which Timothy Oliphant specifically said, "Don't let anybody he's take gonna two. He's going to end up. He's going to end
2: up like on the sidewalk. Yeah, you'll be ending. You know,
1: you'll be frying eggs off of him or something. Off of his forehead.
3: Yeah, exactly. Which exactly. is what. Which is what happens to him. But Nathan Bexton, uh, keen-eyed viewers will remember
2: him from Gregor Rocky's Nowhere,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and this is where I saw him first. Do you you want to know what Uh, other movie that I remember Nathan Bexton in before he fell off the face of the earth? Tell me. Was The In Crowd. Do you remember The In Crowd, Hiko?
1: Circa 2000? Yep. Yes.
2: This was like a Melrose Place knockoff that... Was this like D movie There's that a- managed to get like a, a national summer release? I remember him from the yes, in crowd. Yes, with,
1: with the, with the act, one, one of the main actresses in it was from Sunset Beach, that short lived NBC Ugh. soap. Was it
2: Susan Ward?
1: Yes, I'm yeah. thankful for knowing oh that. God. Yeah. Oh my God.
2: Uh, you too, Susan Ward. But yeah, so, Sunset but Beach. I remember, well, also kind of like a domino effect, I remember him from this movie and then reading in teen movie line and then reading about they were profiling all of these young actors and then that's how I found out about Gregoraki. Was from that. Was from like his little bio and that's where I discovered Nowhere. Okay. Well
3: I, I had seen Nowhere first. Uh I was a big Gregoraki fan from way back. And we're going to cover these on the podcast. Oh definitely. Soon, we'll but... do
2: we'll do Nowhere Very, very soon.
3: Yes, but I had seen The Doom Generation, starring one Miss Rose McGowan and James Duvall, on Cinemax,
2: late at night. Oh, yeah. No other time to show The Doom (laughs) Generation than at 1 a.m. on Cinemax. Yes,
3: and was obsessed with uh, Rose, her, like, shithead of a character, James Duvall, and his, like, even... More moronic Keanu impression um, and just the direction of this movie and just fell in love.
1: So, right, he is a low rent Keanu. Oh, my
3: goodness, so low rent,
2: like section (laughs) eight Keanu. He was the one that they would bring in from casting that we want a Keanu Reeves type. Yeah, yeah, but like
3: evicted, gone like, yeah, his the rent is so low, like he's paying by the hour. Yeah, (laughs) Um, so then nowhere comes out which is like the follow up and it's like even crazier and it has like even more like wacky nowhere like has 80s, like everyone like, in it has too so many people and uh nathan Baxton is in it and he plays montgomery and he's like the love interest of james Duvall.
2: and, and he's and, super cute in nowhere so too
3: cute in that movie and so stupid um, like
2: he's that's like the that's like the ravers fuckboy right there oh
3: my goodness
2: yes indeed oh, he's got bad.
3: like that like home Sally Beauty Supply bleach job mm-hmm. that's like <laughs> orange hay color, you know, because you did it yourself and it like hurt and you didn't want to do and it. And there's again.
2: numerous blonde beauties in that movie because what's oh, his yeah. name from Never Been Kissed is also bleached out in that movie. Rufus,
3: mm-hmm. uh, yeah, uh, Jeremy Jordan, mm-hmm. indeed, uh, he had a real bleach job that was platinum. Um, but yeah, so Nathan Baxton is in this. He's uh underused, he takes the ecstasy, two hits of it at the beginning of the movie, and is just gone the entire time. Um,
1: and, then, and there is a great sequence when he's tripping out, I have to say.
3: That, yes, that was done really well. I feel like That's the,
2: the POV of him like rolling is crazy. We should also mention that Doug Lyman was the director of photography in this movie, too. What? Which I think that Doug might wow. m- might shoot I think he's like Soderbergh that he does shoot a majority of his movies. Sure. Well I mean swingers is one thing. But yeah, but there's some complicated shots in that scene too. Yeah, there's there's some crazy stuff going on there. But um
3: yeah, so uh there's some really cool stuff when uh some POV stuff at the rave. You know, the rave has actually done kind
2: of well. It's not like a movie rave. It's not like overly lit it seems somewhat authentic, like they did yeah. almost find an actual rave that was happening and they just went to shoot. Yeah. Which And made they made it
1: feel they made it feel pretty crowded, probably with having only thirty extras. Yeah.
2: <laughs> totally. Pete, do you remember that time for Damien's birthday that we went to a, a warehouse party? I mean it wasn't quite like tripping daisies like this, but we ended up at a warehouse party. That was party. for
3: my birthday.
2: That was for your... I thought that was for... I no. thought that was for Damien's birthday. No, that
3: was for my birthday, and I, I remember told, this.
2: I told everyone
3: at the bar, I would like to go to After Hours tonight. And Damien said,
2: I'm on it. Do you remember the house <laughs> off of Alvarado, which is super something that you would see oh, in the bitch. movie Go? Do I remember it's, the Alvarado Okay, so house. Hiko, so there's... Have you ever heard of the Alvarado house? <laughs> I have not. So there's oh, this baby. fucking old house off of Alvarado Boulevard that's just sort of a party scene and you usually have to know someone that knows someone and you'll go (laughs) and that's where kind of the party starts it's an after hours oh yeah it's an after hours hours. thing yeah
3: Yeah. there's a whole backyard it's a weird house that like you barely it's in this weird part of Echo Park that's like in between like a middle school and like a and like a body shop or something and it's just like a house sitting there and when you go through the side entrance to the backyard it's like this giant yard and uh on certain nights i don't think they do it anymore but on certain nights it would be an after hours party and there were fully like full service bars yeah like two full service bars in this backyard the amount
2: of work that goes into yeah the alvarado house is crazy it's pretty crazy but I mean, totally uh, something that would be in this movie, though. Yes, because you could go and
3: stay at this house until, like, 6 a.m. Until the sun comes up. Yeah. Yeah. And we did several times.
1: Well, let's let's remake Go, and we'll include it as a location. I'm in.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, Scott, the time that you're talking about, when we did go to that crazy warehouse party underneath, like, the Third Street Bridge or whatever,
2: um, like, wherever Robert Patrick, like... Uh, like jump materialized Terminator 2 and and T2. Yeah. Yes.
3: That was my birthday. And I was like, I want to go to after hours, make it happen. And like people started talking to people and we ended up at some crazy after hours. (laughs) It was fun, but it wasn't that fun. Mm -hmm. So, okay. Back to go.
2: Um, I can definitely appreciate now looking back on this movie that, I've never really been someone that's had a regular nine-to-five job. I feel like I've always just gravitated towards these customer service jobs, and I've talked about on the show. I work at a Trader Joe's, and um, we do have kind of the 21-year-old that talks about going to raves back when we could go out. I mean, I was no stranger just to going out at 10 o'clock when we got off work. Because you don't work regular office hours, so you can just go out and have fun. You don't have to be at work Just sort of. So I've sort of, I've known, I've never kind of been this cool. I was never someone that, like, sold drugs or anything. But I definitely (laughs) kind of, like, through my customer service experience, had seen all of these types of people. Yeah. So that's something that kind of, when I look back at this movie now, that kind of does speak to me. Mm -hmm. Especially that it's that specific that they're a grocery store. Kind of taking your breaks in the box <laughs> and looking at people when they like grab uh, OJ and just being like, oh, yeah. do not do not fucking see me. I do not want to talk to you. <laughs> I'm like having like my alone time on, on my phone in the dairy box. <laughs> so yeah, so I think that's kind of interesting now going back and looking at it. And it's sure. a fun way to kind of build characters is from this setting.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I feel like anytime you work at a job. Uh, especially at that age um, and your job's kind of crazy or kind of weird or whatever, you're always just like, they should write a movie about this.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Don't you think?
3: There's yeah. Like Every time you have a job, you're just like, they should a movie about this job and I've got a great idea for it. And then they did. Um, so I guess we haven't even really talked about like the
2: main plot of the movie, but I guess there's three... <laughs> There's the story one, story two, and story three. Yes.
1: Yeah. Ronna, Simon, and then um, Adam and Zach. Yes. Mm-hmm.
3: And uh, Sarah Polly's character is uh, credited as Ronna Martin, not Donna <laughs> Martin. Not Donna
2: Martin. <laughs> I would have loved to have seen this movie starring Tori Spelling. No. <laughs>
3: yeah. So her whole deal is that she is not going to make rent and she's working like quadruple shifts. The grocery store so that at she can knock at Suns. <laughs> I mean. So she it was, not it was the late
2: nineties. I guess I guess you could do that. I don't know. If you yeah. could if you could do like fourteen hour shifts. Yeah.
3: And um she just needs cash in a hurry. And uh, she knows that one of her co workers also sells drugs on the side and he's going to Vegas. He's out of town. So she, and people ask her for drugs straight up. They're like, where's a British guy? We know he sells drugs. We want to buy drugs. And she's like, well, he's
2: gone. He went to Vegas, but I got you, fam.
1: And that's Adam and Zach who appear at the grocery
2: store. There you go. I have gotten asked for drugs working at restaurant jobs, too. So that is something that does happen. Like when I was, I remember when I was 19 years old washing dishes yeah. at the Emerson Grill, somebody yeah. popped their head in and asked where they could score a bag of weed. And I mean, I have had crazy retail jobs
3: with weirdos that you're just like, that guy totally sells drugs. And you're just like, I don't know. It's not that out of the question to be like, okay, well, if that guy sells drugs. Well, then I can get them from wherever he gets them mm-hmm. and make some quick cash. So her idea is to do that. And, uh... Because these guys ask her for drugs, but it turns out that they are actually in this like sting operation. They're actually soap opera actors, that they're trying to get out of some weird drug charge by entrapment, really, pretty much.
1: <laughs> by, by, um, what's the word? Uh, cooperating with the police headed by. William Fickner. William Fickner.
3: exactly. So she goes she goes to the house to like – she got, she obtains the drugs from Timothy Oliphant, sexy drug dealer. And sexiest drug dealer in, in Southern California, I have to say. As far as I'm concerned. Yeah. <laughs> We're in all my, in agreement there. Yeah, in my experience. Um, and it's like a whole thing, too, because she doesn't have enough money. He wants to – she's anticipating that it's going to cost – 200 but he charges her 300. And also
2: pretty much a total stranger that walks into his apartment wanting to buy these drugs off him that he doesn't that he doesn't know her too. So he makes a big deal with that. Yeah. Yeah. So
3: um so we're setting up a lot of threads here with this, which is, you know, pretty clever because we're setting up Simon, the guy in Vegas, his ties to the drug dealer, you know, she's trying to sell To the two uh, soap actors, their ties to, you know, to Rana and all that. So all three storylines kind of
2: like Hiko mentioned before, this is a very tight script. I mean, uh, maybe with an exception to some stuff, you kind of need every single scene of this movie for it to flow for sure. And I could see Doug Lyman going through back and forth with the studio of that. No, we cannot cut the Vegas stuff because the whole movie wouldn't make sense that way.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's a great natural, you know, second act that you need. And it's just great to see how all the characters are all connected and all, all the action and plots culminating at this merry, Merry Christmas rave and at a warehouse.
2: And what a moment when Sarah Polly gets hit by that car. Like, uh, even when you know it's coming, you do not see it coming.
1: And then you reveal, spoiler alert, you reveal that she gets hit by a yellow Miata driven by Adam and Zach. Yeah, I see? And
3: that's the thing. I, I didn't remember. So when it happened the first time, I was like... <gasps> I know this is gonna be somebody. They're setting this up, but I don't remember who it is. And <laughs> I was gagged when it turned out to be Adam and Zach. I was like, "What?" So yeah, it's it's um it's something that like as a screenwriter, I feel like you know he may have had that whiteboard with the with the red yarn and like all of his like strings. <laughs> you know, the red yarn was like tying everything together. That's that's something that's that's difficult to visualize. You yeah. Know? And um, especially when it's something that with all these three things going on
2: concurrently. And it's also, I think it's important to kind of mention that you need a really strong director to execute stuff like this. Because I think that you could have made this movie with just a director for hire and it just would have sucked. I think that you need a very visual director that can really see how this movie is going to come together yeah and like the cuts in the editing room like they have the whole movie in their mind as they're making it
1: well yeah and and someone who can really shoot fast yeah because like you had mentioned this movie was shot really quickly and Mm -hmm. yeah he ran it like a tight ship i'm sure
3: yeah, all the car chase stuff in Vegas was early, crazy.
2: Early Doug Liman car chase scene, he did a really famous car chase scene in The Bourne Identity. Oh, yeah. Doug Liman directed A Bourne Identity? He directed the first one.
1: What? He kicked off the franchise. That
2: was a big deal mm. for him.
1: I and mean, that's what,
2: that's what pretty much like saved Matt Damon's career from just like petering out was The Bourne movies. You know how many times I've seen
3: The First Bourne Identity? 0.00, 00 times. I've <laughs> never I, seen it. I have there, seen them all. No.
2: No I interest. I've seen all the Born movies. I don't no. think I could give you a plot description of any of them, just even because. Like le- even the Jeremy <laughs> Renner one, because like Guy Pierce's character from Memento, when I see them, gone. The plot is just gone, gone and I maybe remember <laughs> certain like certain scenes from all of them,
3: in one ear out the other.
2: But I'll watch all of them though. Sure. I even watched the bad one that was just released with Alicia Vikander, which was not good. Was she Jason Bourne? No, she, she was. The, she was like the Joan Allen Justine, type Justine that was Bourne? just sitting in the FBI control room, Uh-oh. just talking over like a headset.
3: She's M or Q, saying that we
2: we just have to we have to get Jason Bourne. <laughs> that's pretty oh. much how like those movies those movies like sure. go down too. Oh,
1: that's right. There was a new one. I forgot. I never saw the 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 one called Jason Bourne. And
2: that one has a Las Vegas. Car chase scene and the car chase scene no in Vegas and Go <laughs> is better than that movie. Wow. Oh, wow. Because the Jason Bourne one is a lot of suspension of disbelief. Of that, if you've ever been to Las Vegas, you'll know that Las Vegas Boulevard is a parking lot of cars. Oh, my God. Always. Fuck Las Vegas. And they're just like spinning all these wheelies, like <laughs> weaving ah! in and out. <laughs> In this movie, at no, least, really. at least this movie goes sort of on the side streets. You don't get Las Vegas Boulevard. You sure. get the the, the little s- second. One. You get the second street next to the Riviera, where the LVH is. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think there were some shots of old Vegas too. Yes. it's oh, funny enough. After the funny enough after this movie came out, my summer vacation part of it was spent in Vegas. I went to the Vegas for the first time when I was Ooh. nineteen.
2: I mean, Pete and I love Vegas. Yeah. We always have a lot of fun there. We just had to. Yeah. We just had to miss Lady Gaga in Vegas. Yeah, Vegas oh. is the
3: shit, and we were. We would have seen Lady Gaga last week. Now I have a. Rona. Now I have a eight hundred and
2: fifty dollar <laughs> ticket credit from Vivid Seats. Uh, oh no! We'll catch her again. Wow, that sucks.
3: We will catch her again eventually. But
1: well, I was supposed to see Alanis Morissette at the Bowl.
2: And...
1: <sighs> did we gonna go? Did that
2: officially cancel?
1: The 25th anniversary of Jagged Little Pill. Ugh. And now, yeah, as you said, the, the whole Hollywood Bowl season was canceled. Oops. Oh,
2: my god. Well, we also have tickets to Harry Styles at the forum, which I'm sure is going to bite the dust soon. Those are in September.
3: We could see him somehow in September. Uh, know we're probably not going to see him.
0: Uh,
1: fuck you, Rona. I brought, I brought up Atlantis, too, because going back to the movie she gets a little quote I think a little shout out yeah she
3: does she
1: back. a little ironic quote which was funny I appreciated. thank you John August
3: yes indeed
1: so Zach do you know who your girlfriend's fucking no Adam I do not although I have suspicions mostly former boyfriends who keep calling
0: what a coincidence I have the exact
3: same problem with my girlfriend
1: isn't it ironic
2: don't you think
0: Maybe I should start checking around for socks, too. Gay men are
3: so hot. It's tragic. Yeah, that that, that was a funny little shout-out.
1: <laughs> wow, you had that queued
3: up. I did, I did. I was like, ooh, he's talking about it. Let me pull it up. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's some... There's some good dialogue in this. Yeah. There's some fun scenes. Melissa McCarthy, I feel like her delivery of the of that line reading is so like she's just so enthusiastic about it. it. It's a
2: classic. (laughs) I mean, you see this a lot with comedians that you just see randomly put in commercials. Yeah. That they can go in for one paragraph of dialogue and just knock it out of the park. That it will be one of the most rememberable. Rememberable. It'll be (laughs) one of the most memorable scenes of the movie. Yeah, for sure. That's in
1: she owned she owned those fifteen seconds.
2: Yeah, for sure.
3: (laughs) Got it? Oh, okay, here we go.
0: Oh my god. Oh my god. I'll call you back. (laughs) Jimmy's not here right now. He went to this thing.
1: don't you? We know. Oh, woo. I take no
0: responsibility.
1: I was only an innocent bystander, but there
0: is this one time
1: you guys, you miss each other by like three minutes. It was so
0: exciting.
3: Yeah. That's some groundlings training right there. Yeah. Just like, <laughs> yeah, really good, uh, really good character work. Yeah. So yeah. So the script is, the script is good. <laughs> I'll concede I, I'll concede the script is funny. <laughs>
1: I think it I think it holds up all in all.
3: Yeah, for sure. I do like, I, I mentioned uh, uh, earlier in the movie how uh they were very intent on letting the audience know how Los Angeles this movie was. Tay Diggs mentions uh Tay Diggs says Wait, no, who says it? Somebody
2: says stop being so 818. Oh, it's Sarah Polly says that to, to Katie Holmes.
3: Sarah Polly says, stop being so 818.
2: Love it. Yeah.
3: Which even, I want to say, even in like 99, there were even less area codes. <laughs> just, just don't
2: just don't drop 909. Yeah. If you ever get a number at a bar and it has a 909 area oh. code from it, HECO, don't just eat. tear it up. <laughs> okay, got it.
1: Mm-hmm. Actually, one of one of my closest friends grew up in the 909.
2: <laughs> hey, hey, hey! You don't want to commute. You, you don't want to commute to the Inland Empire. <laughs> no, no. I think I know who you're talking
3: about. Ego. Um, also, 951 shred it. Seven one four out the window.
2: Which one's Seven one four. OC baby. Oh. <laughs> what, Too much traffic.
1: When I first moved, when I first moved to LA, I, my friends and I had a joke about like, we had a slogan: "Don't date the 818."
3: Oh yeah, you've yeah. always been
2: 310, right?
1: I have, yeah.
3: Yeah,
2: you're all, yeah. That's, and for listeners that for aren't sure. in Los Angeles, 310 is just—it's the West Side, right?
1: I guess I anything mean, like west of. Beverly Hills.
3: Yeah, it's like L.A. proper and like West because three two three is like really at this point, it's three two three is just like downtown Echo Park, like East Mid- Side, Mid City. Is Mid City still three two three? Yeah, I guess it is. Yeah, interesting. My work
1: number is three.
3: Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense.
1: I'm on Miracle Mile. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay.
3: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm I'm six two six. I'm San Gabriel Valley. <laughs> oh yeah, we are six two six household. I am still three two three. My my cell phone, but that's just because I won't get I won't get rid of that number from my nana's house.
2: I was bummed <laughs> out when I went on your cell phone plan and I had to drop the Montana number. I know. Because Montana famously has one area code in the, the entire entire, entire state. state. What? Oh my god. Yeah, <laughs> Four oh six, baby. That is insanity.
1: Oh my god.
3: <laughs> yeah. We're in the same, like, county, and we have, like, multiples. <laughs> so, yeah. So, there's, uh, there's Stopping So 818, and then um, Tay Diggs refers to the the guy that threw his keys at him and thought he was valet. He refers to him as Orange County at one point. It's a very throwaway, very quick throwaway line. Calls him Orange County. And then I think there's one more, like, super L.A. thing. But, yeah.
2: Very, very we, were, deep we were trying to decide what restaurant Katie Holmes is at at the end of the movie where she meets Tim. Yeah. Alton.
3: I almost thought it was Masa and Echo Park, but I couldn't tell. Oh. Just because of the way that that like bar counter in the center of the restaurant was, it almost looks like um, Masa of Echo Park. And so we,
1: I, I always wanted to know where that warehouse or ha- old hangar. Oh, we was. were talking what? about that. So there's
3: planes. There's like plane airplanes, but it's also yeah. like a Christmas
1: sex shop. Maybe Santa Monica co- uh, uh, Airport. Yeah, that's what
2: Scott said. That's what I said. Like whatever airport that like John Travolta has his fucking planes at.
3: Right off the 105. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's like a weird like Christmas sex shop. I don't understand what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? But yeah, that that crazy giant parking lot. At first, I was just like, "Oh, it's Dodger Stadium." But then when they turned around and it was, there were like Cessnas. Like, oh, okay, maybe not. So, yeah, lots of uh, lots of interesting locations uh, in in the movie.
2: Very I almost LA. wanted to see more LA landmarks in the locations.
3: Well, I think that was a deliberate choice. Yeah. I think in Swingers he very much was like this is Los Angeles and there was so much. It does alike.
2: bother you with certain scenes of swingers where uh the B roll is like opposite ends of the town, but it's like you're in a car. I mean if like, you're if I I don't know how many times I have to say this, but if you're going from
3: the Derby into the Hollywood Hills, there is no reason for you to pass canters. Nope, none. So explain that to me, Doug Lyman. But that's just second unit stuff.
2: So, I remember when I first visited my stepsister in L.A., she took me to Dresden's, the Dresden. and my mind was just blown. <laughs> like ordering a fucking martini at the bar back when I thought that I enjoyed martinis. But did, when you thought you liked them, but yeah. did you
3: see Marty and Elaine? That's the I, we did
2: not. Oh. I don't think.
3: So I, I feel think like I've only
2: had... seen Marty and Elaine there like a handful of times because usually whenever we go in, they're not there.
3: Oh yeah, no, they're only there on, like oh. evening,
2: like Saturday <laughs> night.
1: But going back to Cantor, shout out to their chocolate chip brugula. Which I just had recently
3: I've not had it but it sounds amazing And I'm sure it's fucking delicious Because it's Cantor's for crying out loud There used to be a really good uh, Restaurant across the street from Cantor's Called Nova Express And it was a sci-fi themed like coffee shop And they had Um
2: I, I vaguely remember this. Okay. Yeah, you walked in and there were yeah. like aliens and like
3: spaceships mm-hmm. and stuff. And they had this really good fried peanut butter and banana sandwich. That was like fucking, oh my God, so delicious. It was across the street from Canners on the other side where the old Largo was. So anyway,
2: enough L.A. name dropping. Um, yes. what else are we missing from this movie, you guys? We were briefly mentioning before the Pulp Fiction comparison. Sure, yeah, yeah, I yeah. will say that I think it does Let's the movie talk. a little disservice to, com- yeah, I agree. to always compare it to Pulp Fiction. I agree. Because I do yeah. think that they're very different movies. Yeah. But that said, if it weren't for the success of Pulp Fiction and Tarantino winning the screenplay o- uh, Oscar, I don't think Sony and Tristar would have ever considered this movie. So it does kind of owe a lot to the to the success of Pulp Fiction. Yeah, but I do feel like people are a little too uh, kind of they're doing the movie a disservice when they're comparing it too much with that movie. I agree.
1: Yeah,
3: for sure. And I i I mean, you can kind of see it on a superficial level where it's like, oh, it's like teen like Pulp Fiction or whatever. It's
2: just like, oh, it's nonlinear storytelling. It's going back yeah. to one part of the story and then picking it back up. But that's very much I feel like that's
3: very much like the easy, like the easiest, lowest common denominator way of saying it's, redu- like, it's reductive. It's reductive. The, exactly. exactly. It's reductive. Thank you.
2: I feel like the movie does stand, uh, stand on its own. Yeah. And like we mentioned before, that when you go back and revisit it now, it's less jarring. That kind of <laughs> we're sure. so used to this style of storytelling Yeah. that, we, that we're just like, well, of course, this is going to be how you're going to tell the story. Yeah. Because how else yeah. would you?
3: And even when they do go back to that starting point of Sarah Pauly clocking out in each of the three scenes, they're all shot differently. Mm-hmm. There's all different POVs. There's all different. Oh, yeah. There's all different angles. So yeah. it's not even like they're just repeating the scene. So we're given different, you know, points of views and all that. Um, so even though someone earlier in this podcast may have referred to Sarah Pauli as uh, Discount Uma Thurman, you know
2: that <laughs> that doesn't, you know, tie into the pulp fiction references. So Sarah Pauly did get an Independent Spirit Award nomination for this movie. Interesting. Got numb in for best supporting actress.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh. Okay.
3: I read something about her being apprehensive about shooting in Los Angeles because she's uh
2: from Canada. She's Canadian, so she probably had to get a visa. Ah, I see. Yeah.
3: But she's been working since she was a kid. Uh Terry Gilliam tried to kill her.
2: Oh, and yeah. Baron Munchausen. There is a movie I have not seen in years. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Where she worked with uh Uma Thurman, yeah. where she emerges from the <laughs> from the Venus shell. Yes, indeed,
3: Venus on the Venus on the half shell. Our, our one of our intros to to, to Uma or uh, high rent Sarapoli, <laughs> the, <laughs> the rich the rich man
2: Sarapoli. <laughs> I feel like Sarapoli is not an actress that you see in a lot of stuff anymore. No, yeah. It's interesting exactly. that she never followed up away from her with another movie. Mm-hmm.
1: I think I feel like she might have directed one other movie, a small indie, that just never
2: Wow, she hasn't worked from since Splice. Ooh, oh. I love I Ooh. love Splice. Splice was
3: Splice was better than it needed to be. Yeah, she she hasn't acted since then.
1: I wonder yeah. why with, that is. Oh my god, Splice with what's his name? Uh Oscar winner from
3: the PA. Adrian Brody. That's right. Yeah. And
2: Slice is one of those movies that, like, I mean, it was not successful, but I think it was pretty light critically. So yeah. it's not like she just got burned out on this flop.
3: Yeah. That's or, what I'm saying. It's better than it needed to be. It was mm-hmm. kind of like almost a B movie, but it but it got real it got good reviews for what
2: it was. It just was well, didn't make a lot of money. Sarah Polly, come back to us. I know. Direct we're, another we're movie. Back. You're welcome on the podcast. Get another screenplay Oscar nomination. Like us on Instagram. (laughs) There we go.
3: If Sarah Polly is on Instagram,
2: I will eat my hat.
3: She seems like the type of person who's just like, I'm sorry, what is that Instagram? I don't
2: have that. So I have searched Nathan Bexton if he's on Instagram. He is um, not. Of course not. He is nowhere to be found. Of course not. I have done Google searches for him. (laughs) He's like, uh, I do this with Jake... From Sixteen Candles.
3: Uh, Michael Shoffling.
2: Michael Shoffling that I just try to find current pictures of him. Michael Shoffling is just like
3: living on the East Coast. He's just in, you know, he's just in like in the Poconos just making furniture and like he's
1: just
3: he's just making his own furniture in the Poconos and he's got like a small online business and he also sells like sage bundles and and like those little sticks that you burn he and gets
2: he gets asked probably once a week hey are you that guy yeah. from 16 candles and he's just like no
3: and he'll like sigh and he'll be like i used to be <laughs> you know what i mean and yeah and his name's and his name is mike shuffling and he's just got like a big gray salt and pepper beard and like that's what he does he just makes i just i don't know i just see him making furniture
2: Stay tuned to our upcoming Mermaids episode. Oh, boy, Mermaids. Oh, shout out. Indeed. It is on the books. <laughs> he's, we will be he's recording so, it he's soon.
3: He's so fine in that movie. Um, yeah, so Michael Schoffling, if you're on Instagram, which you're not, maybe his uh, maybe his line of hand-hewn, you know, like... Uh, Carved furniture? Yeah. Uh, coffee tables and, <laughs> and, like, living room chairs. It's just like what Channing Tatum made in Magic Mike. That ugly, that god awful, ugly furniture that Channing Tatum made in Magic. Mike. And when Harry met
2: Sally, wagon wheel, the wagon coffee wheel coffee table. table that
3: Channing Tatum was trying to hawk in Magic Mike. Oh my god, <laughs> hideous. Maybe Nathan Bexton is doing that. I don't think he's making furniture. He doesn't strike me as that type. Maybe he's, you know. Do you I think have he's think like? Of what do you he's think doing? he's like
2: a silent partner on like a Silver Lake coffee house or something? No,
3: I think he flips houses. I could see oh, that. Real estate. He buys yeah. up.
2: He buys up like East LA property for.
3: No, not even, not even in Southern California. He does it in like somewhere. He does it somewhere else. Yeah. I don't know where though. I'll have to think about it. Nathan Bexton, I got, I got your number. <laughs> I, know, I know what he's doing. Also know Instagram. Even for his, even for his like, uh, you know, non Hollywood second life venture. So. Yeah, I think we've kind of like well, we haven't wrapped it up, but we talked about all these three different storylines and how they kind of tie together.
2: Does anyone have a favorite storyline of this movie? Well, I know which one yours is. Well, of course. It's the <laughs> it's the Adam and <laughs> Zach one. And William Fickner's ass. Yeah. I love that. I loved those scenes when I was in high school. They were always they would always be the scenes that I would have usually queued up. Yeah. Of that when they would go over for the dinner. Yeah. I love all that shit. There
0: we
1: go.
3: Is that your favorite
1: of the three, Higo? Um, I, They're equally all... They all stand on their own. Sure. And just equally compelling to watch. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, I, I do like the Vegas storyline a bit because Simon is so wacky and british and she's a you know a silly representation of a foreigner in vegas basically getting in over his head and you're and you're Uh,
2: an anglophile so yes i could see this being like your type of man and
1: yeah and he i remember him the actor desmond deskew i think he was on the first season of roswell the old school yeah Uh, he was on roswell Back in the day, shortly after this movie. Um, and, yeah, I followed him a little bit. But uh, it's the music, I have to say the music yeah. still spans uh, that No Doubt song that closes out the song. We just uh, watched that video. New.
3: New. Yep. New is a and, fucking great song.
1: And BT, which is, the, you know, one of my favorite artists now. Uh, I've seen him perform and spin live several times here in Southern California. Um, he... Actually, it's his song that's playing uh, when we first see the rave. It's called "Believer." Okay, it's a great like Circo, Y two K Y two K um, club jam, which is pretty good.
3: Awesome, yeah. I was actually going to ask about the soundtrack and if you guys have favorite favorite tracks off that. I do remember seeing Hiko when the movie started in the opening credits, and it said music by BT, and that was kind of intriguing because I wasn't familiar with. With yeah, and an it, it was
1: like one of the first. He might have been one of the first like, DJs to like do a score sure. for a movie. Okay, um, you know, because then you you would have like other famous artists. Oh yeah, Moby. Yeah, like Moby and um, Junkie XL. I think they did Mad Max,
2: mm-hmm. uh, and I think that he did uh, Donna Justice too.
1: Yeah, you have Trent Reznor doing, you know the social network. Yeah. Not quite DJ um, but but not quite DJ electronic yeah. mm-hmm. to his sound um and yeah, I I appreciated the sound. It was one of the one of my favorite soundtracks actually. Again, I, the Natalie Brulier I song. I was going to
2: say I really like the Natalie and Brulia song. That's still a song that's on regular rotation in my iTunes.
3: Uh, you know what shocked me that was on the soundtrack was that Air song when he was having the three-way. I was like, "Oh my god, yeah. is Moon Safari?" Uh. Is Moon Safari twenty one years old?
1: (laughs) But I think the most popular song to come out of the soundtrack was um, "Len." Uh, Yes, indeed. (laughs) So
2: we just watched this music video before we started recording. This music video, as if like somebody's cousin that is a media art student has iMovie. And they're in Fort Lauderdale, and they just have a they just have some ideas that we're gonna we're gonna put you on these little like mopeds. We're gonna put you on skidoo's. You're gonna be like running around the beach, and it's as if like your cousin arcade. your cousin Mark, <laughs> who's a media arts junior, directed yeah. this video. Exactly. But hey, this song is up. Fucking jam, fucking slaps. I'll tell really, you that. really it's good, really good sample of an Andrea True disco song. Yes, the indeed. the song maybe
1: called "Steal My Sunshine," but this movie stole my heart. Aww, <laughs> ah. <laughs> yes,
3: indeed. <laughs> Side note: Simon, the British character, is named Simon. Yes, the missing Masterson brother.
2: Um, oh, he does look like a Masterson brother.
3: Yeah. Um. So he's British, and when he's talking to the girls at the question mark wedding he crashes, question mark? Yeah. He's doing an Irish accent? Because yeah. his British accent isn't sexy enough? <laughs> just an interesting I, character choice that he was like, I'm going to go Irish for these broads.
1: Right? Yeah. It was just, I think, his thing and... It's funny, you just reminded me, I just watched um, this new HBO show uh, Run with Merritt Weaver and sure. Donald Gleason. And there's actually a similar scene where Donald Gleason, who's obviously Irish, he, in one scene, when he's like not flirting, but like charming it up um, in this interview or this conversation, he ups his Irish accent. Oh, like, sure the nth degree yeah it's like, it's like it's just it, i think it's like commenting on like you know how americans will just be
2: easily swayed by oh, yeah.
1: a charming lilt
2: yeah were you telling me once that when you guys saw colin farrell at like the chateau montmart bar damien was just like oh doing oh. like his best irish accent just really really loud and probably with an earshot Oh, of well, Colin Farrell!
3: Yeah, I was doing it too, and we weren't doing an Irish accent. We were literally saying "ta ta ta
1: ta 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 ta
3: maybe ten feet away from him. We may have been on uh, some controlled substances and/or uh, inebriated at the time. Why we were Why were we in Bar Marmont? We had no business there, but hey, we didn't get kicked out that time. So, yeah, this uh the soundtrack is kind of amazing. There's some good songs that open it, close it. There's great stuff all throughout. Yep. Amazing cast.
1: I love the opening theme song too. Uh the opening credits. It's called the name of the song is Fire Up the Shoe Saw, and I'm forgetting who's it by, but it's, it's this really cool like Almost trappy electronica.
3: Interesting.
1: Kind of it works. Yeah, it works like with the the very very late '90s, early 2000s flutter cut style. Sure. This, this is a big. This is of of a big time for Fatboy Slim.
2: When you yeah. would see Fatboy Slim songs in a lot of movie trailers and movies. Oh, yes, yeah.
1: Indeed. Yes, indeed. He made so much money just on the licensing alone.
3: Yeah, that
2: is that is for sure.
3: Um, do uh, do we have any final thoughts on
2: Go? I will kind of say, I remember this being, a, I mean, maybe not a big deal. I don't know if it was that influential, but something that definitely sticks out in my memory, that this was one of the kind of the first gay relationships that I remember seeing in a mainstream Hollywood movie. And it kind of did kind of make an impression on me yes. that these two men weren't treated as a character type or an afterthought. They're yeah. not just yeah. they're not just put there for the purpose of having a fabulous gay friend. They're there yeah. for like a story purpose, and they're worked in it that way as like individuals. Yeah, I think that's super clever. Yeah, something that you yeah, didn't something that you didn't see a lot at that time.
1: Yeah, and uh, yeah, my final thought would have to be the same too. Like, and I think it helped that it was from a gay screenwriter. Yes, absolutely. Um, he, I think he cleverly put that in there um even though it was a third act kind of story um
3: yeah
1: it just it wasn't about them really being gay it was just these two gay guys in this wacky plot um and yeah it was refreshing to see that in 1999 and and just just be yeah for sure
3: and, again, Jay Moore, this, like, super straight, like, bro comic actor, kisses another man on screen.
2: And it checks. Like, it's totally viable. <laughs> like, he... Like, yeah. 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 I, like, I feel like I've met both of these types of men. Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
3: So, and Jay Moore wanted to be in this movie, you know? Uh, he kind of lobbied for it, so... That kind of says something about, like, the clout of the screenwriter and the director and all that. And, so, and Jay Moore strikes
2: me as the type that would have ran with John Favreau and Vince Vaughn at the time. Probably. That he just really wanted to work with them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And just being,
3: like, a, mm-hmm. a, a a comic in, like, the L.A. scene at that time. So, yeah, for sure. I, I Yeah, I have to echo everybody's kind of thoughts on this. And just the representation at the time just kind of meant a lot for people, especially people our age. And younger who are just not used to seeing this kind of representation on screen. And that just yeah says a says lot. So, yeah. Wow.
2: Go. We did it. <laughs> yeah, like I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, this was kind of a last-minute movie in the schedule. And I'm glad that we did it. Yeah.
3: You had it on the back burner, though. Mm-hmm. You had been wanting to do this for a while. So... Yeah, that was really fun, man. Thanks for coming on, Hiko. So,
2: Hiko, have you uh, discovered anything new streaming? Like, anything that you've been watching during this crazy quarantine <laughs> that you want to talk about?
1: Um, yeah, well, I, I actually, I binged all seven episodes of Ryan Murphy's Hollywood on Netflix.
2: Ugh, we, we couldn't <laughs> make it past the first two episodes. <laughs> I think I'll give it more I, of a shot. But, oh, boy.
1: I, I totally get where you... Where I have you thoughts. ...were coming from. I went into it with a prejudice and, like, rolling my eyes and just d- begrudgingly watched it. And then once I got halfway through, by episode four, I got... I understood where he, what he was doing with it what like his thesis was on Hollywood. And speaking of representation, it ended up being a lot about representation in Hollywood. Sure. And so
2: yep. I could see that. You it kind of
1: turned out pretty cool. It, it's, it's definitely a wish fulfillment type fantasy of revisionist history of Hollywood. Yeah. So, but, um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it in the end. Do you know and, what I uh, think?
2: Also, we just revisited Feud that I feel like Feud is a little more reined in and is a little more accurate to the time period. So maybe I was just going okay. in thinking it would be more like Feud, too. Yeah.
3: Well, Hollywood is on Netflix. So uh, I'll give it a I'll, I'll, I'll
2: give more episodes another go. Yeah.
3: I mean, there's lots of shirtless. Uh, this is true. Brunette blue eyed gay
2: dudes. I mean that's like Ryan that's Murphy's That's like Ryan Murphy's Hitchcock Blonde right there. Indeed. indeed. Um, exactly. Oh man, what is that lead actor's name? Uh, he's, got a, he's
3: got a terrible He needs to change that name. He needs a stage name as well. I what can't even remember it. No, his name is awful. Granted, that's his family name, whatever. You're in Hollywood now, Buster. And he's on a <laughs> show called Hollywood. Change that goddamn name. That's my two cents on that. But uh there are lots of uh, beautiful people in it. That's Samara weaving. I love Samara get here, weaving. Get out of here with that face. We, we stand
2: her hard. Get, I love. Oh, I loved said, Ready, Ready or Not. not I, yeah. yeah, Ready or Not was awesome.
1: And those directors are going to be doing uh, Scream Five, hopefully. Yeah, Nev Campbell
2: recently said that she's been talking to him. Fun about it. So I think it will be happening. Well, we'll, we'll definitely uh, give Hollywood more of a
3: shot. Past two episodes, I think we'll. I think we'll get into it. I think we'll finish it. I think we'll finish it. I didn't think we were done. I didn't think we were finished. I think we were going to head back in and and we'll complete Ryan Murphy's journey into Hollywood in the 50s. We love uh, the real story of uh, Scotty and his uh, Scotty Bowers Scotty Bowers yep. and his, Scotty Bowers and his gas station of hoes that's a really interesting story what's the name of that documentary Scott?
2: Scotty Bowers and the secret history of Hollywood yeah look that up check that's it out the, the run it it's a great documentary Indeed. Scotty Bowers is a character and he yeah. is a kook
3: yeah he is a real the Dylan yep. the Dylan McDermott character in uh, in
1: Hollywood based is on a real person feeding is
2: like cake to his neighborhood raccoons <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember that? Forgot about that. Yeah. Didn't he,
1: and he? He passed away last year. He did. He did.
3: Yeah, he was like in icon. Nineties. Yep. All yeah. Right. Yeah. That was insane. That was- well, I think it's time to wrap it up. It, it is. is. I think it's time to wrap it up. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Hiko. Thank this you was so amazing. much, Hiko.
0: Thank you. This
3: was so much fun. you should listen for it and Hika, where can people uh, find you on social media? Can we read your blog or maybe follow you on
1: Twitter? <laughs> yes, uh, Twitter, Instagram at the first echo and my blog sites at oh my blog site is the first
3: Awesome. Well, we'll definitely look that up and we'll post you all over our socials so people can find you. Thanks Thank for you. coming on, man. We will see you soon. Stay safe. Stay quarantined. Stay inside. All right. All right. We'll see you soon, man. Bye. Bye. And everybody out there in podcast land. We're going
2: to be coming up on our 50th episode We're zone. coming very close it's to very close. 50. It's very close. Love we have some fun and stored for you.
3: We do. We've got some great things in the future. And hopefully
2: we'll uh, do more movies that aren't in the 1990s. We'll try to <laughs> we'll try to skip around the decades a little more.
3: We'll come out of the 90s eventually. Maybe we'll come into the 2000s, the teens, um, and get some more current things for you. But we love nostalgia here mm-hmm. at Movies That Made Us I mean, us gay. it makes sense
2: because I feel like I was very much formed as a person with pop culture in the 90s. Yes, indeed. That would make sense. Yes, indeed. those are the types of movies that we would do the most on the show.
3: Yes, of course, of course. These are the movies that shaped us. These are the movies that made us gay, if you will. I mean, come on. (laughs) I tied it back into the title. Um, But you can find us on social media. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Movies That Made Us Gay. And you can find us on Twitter at... M-T-M-U-G-Pod.
2: How long that took me to figure out to it's, how to say it.
3: It's long and it's crazy. And Movies That Made Us Gay was not short enough for Twitter handles. So we are M-T-M-U-G-Pod. Find us on social media. And when you are on iTunes, please go ahead and give us five stars.
2: Give us five stars.
3: Also, we would love it if you would subscribe and review our podcast. If you have some time, we know you've got plenty of time because you're not going to the mall.
2: Not going to the club. Definitely not seeing movies now.
3: Not going to the movies. So what can you do in the meantime?
2: You can write us a review. Give us five stars. Give
3: us five stars and write a review on iTunes. You can also uh, listen to us anywhere you find podcasts. Anywhere you listen to podcasts. We're on Spotify. We're on Google Play, whatever Google calls it, uh, and iTunes. So listen to us. Tell your friends. Write us a good review. Give us five stars. Do all those fun things. And don't forget to come back next week when we've got a fresh episode of Movies That Made Us Gay. Bye, everybody.
2: Disappearing from the photo.
0: (laughs) Bye.